our current policies are so screwed up, they're so badly put <laughs> together, that we should be able to think of a way to make everybody better off, like park and cash out. What it means is that we're not being unjust to people who don't drive to work. Right. We should be rewarding people for not driving to work. How do we actually get people in our own community to love what it means to be on a bike? Cycling is really like a moving meditation. It's not fair to us as African-Americans that in order for us to ride and be safe, we have to get in our car and ride like 20, 30 miles to get somewhere where it's safe mm -hmm. for us to ride. We should be able yeah. to ride in our own neighborhoods and be safe, just like if we were in the non-Black neighborhood. So the planning person is there saying, no, best to keep this old infrastructure that the old places left for us, pre-automobile. So You think planning, planning is on our side, is what you're saying? Planning is the only mechanism, the only buffer uh -huh. between the private market and the livability of people. I have a rage that plays a role in trying to help keep our community members safe, that we can one day get out and bike ride without looking over our shoulders and wondering if something's going to happen to us or if something's going to happen to my son or my daughter. Ooh, all right. We're stepping it up. We brought the theme in now. This is uh, Bike Talk Live on KPFK. We're on Zoom um, because we are at home, all of us, and we're avoiding this crazy virus, hopefully, out there. So socially distancing or physically distancing. Today, we have a very legendary guest. Uh, with us today. Nick Richard um, and Don Ward are your co-hosts for Bike Talk. Nick, we have a we have a legend on today, right? Yes, we yeah. do. The legendary. Right. The legendary Donald Shoup. He's a trailblazer in the field of parking at UCLA, where he is the distinguished research professor in the Department of Urban Planning. He's the author of the high cost of free parking. And he basically has a lot of devoted followers. They're called the Shupistas. And I'm in the Facebook group. Um, so I feel like kind of like a Shupista. I don't know if you need like to pass some other tests or credentials to become one, but uh, we're honored to have you on, Donald. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. We're not um, worthy! We're not We're truly not worthy to have you on the show. Uh, I was suggested by Ted, Ted Rogers <laughs> of Biking in LA. Oh, was that Ted Rogers that said that? Okay. Thanks a lot, Ted, for that. Um, you are uh, basically famous for some very controversial uh, thoughts on car parking, which a lot of people in society just automatically assume the best thing possible is more car parking and the opposite is true is what you say in a lot of cases right 
Well, yes, I I think that we have far too much parking, and um, and most of it is free to the driver. Uh, and I think getting to the link to parking, um, that uh, everyone wants to park free, uh, including you and me. Um, and but just because the driver doesn't pay for parking doesn't mean the cost go goes away. The cost is still there, and somebody. Somebody has to pay for it, and that somebody is everybody. That everything you buy, uh, a, a little bit of the money is siphoned off to pay for the free parking. When you go to a grocery store or a shopping mall or any place that offers free parking, that it has to be paid for by the by the uh, the store, and a little bit of the of the cost gets shifted to the to your bill. Even if you didn't drive, even people who are too poor to own a car have to pay for parking so that richer people who drive to the place can park free. Uh, and I think that's an uh, injustice that uh, is quite transparent when, when you explain it. Uh, but, but that isn't enough to get people to say, oh, yes, we should all pay for parking. Uh, that uh, you, you need to go much farther than to, to point out that, that everybody is paying for parking, even if they don't drive a car. Right. In the process of bringing people awareness, because I think it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around this concept that car parking costs money, that it, you know, is not worth it in a lot of cases or makes life more difficult for everybody in in a lot of ways um they're not ready to hear that yet right so no i i and i don't know that you should expect people to do that i mean there's so many things that we ought to be paying attention to and we just don't have the time as economists call that rational ignorance is that we're ignorant about so many things about judges who are being elected we don't look and see look at their credentials we just either don't vote or we vote by party line or that we we just can't pay attention to everything and not everybody can pay attention to parking but getting back to my elevator uh explanation is that i basically refer to three reforms i think is when they go together will make life a lot better for people who ride bikes and for people who don't ride bikes um the first one is to charge the right price uh, for on-street parking, for curb parking. Uh, who could argue with the idea of charging the right price? But by right price, I mean the lowest price the city can charge is still have one or two open spaces on every block. And on many blocks in residential areas, that would be zero. But on crowded areas where the uh, parking is scarce, it would be the, the price would have to go up so that you will always see one or two open spaces on every block, which is what drivers want to see, of course. And you can't say there's a shortage of parking. And then getting back to your question about the politics, to make this uh, uh, popular, uh, some cities uh, devote the, all the meter revenue, or, or at least some of it, to pay for added public services on the metered blocks. That if you have parking meters, you get extra services. And if you don't have parking meters, you don't. Uh, so um, some of these services would be uh, cleaning the sidewalks and fisking the sidewalks. Some cities give free Wi-Fi to everybody who is um, uh, uh, 
uh, on the, on that block in that area. And uh, some cities give free transit passes to everybody who works in the in the metered area. So if you if you're an employer in an area with parking meters, all your employees get a free transit pass at no cost to you. There's not a cost of the taxpayer, it's not a cost of the employer, it's the cost of the person who uses the parking, and often that's somebody who comes from outside the neighborhood. Uh, and, uh, the best example of this is right here in Pasadena, uh, that you're too young to know, but old, old Pasadena used to be a, a commercial slum, um, that it was in a, a terrible shape. Uh, that everything above the ground floor was empty and a lot of the things on the ground floor were, were empty. Um, mm. uh, but it, 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 there, there were wonderful buildings in terrible condition. And the, the city had, had a vision of what it could be, uh, which is what it is now, but they had no way to pay for it. Um, uh, they were gonna put in parking meters uh, in the area. The merchants said, no way, it'll chase away the few customers we have. And they argued for a couple of years and finally they said, all right, if we put in the parking meters, we'll spend all the money to replace all the sidewalks in Pasadena, in old Pasadena, <laughs> all the sidewalks that have parking meters. And we'll put in new street trees, uh, new historic street furniture. We'll clean up the alleys. Um, we'll put the wires underground. And the merchant said, well, why didn't you tell us that? Let's do that. Let's run the meters <laughs> to midnight. Let's run them on Sunday. Because oh. they knew that this was the way to pay for what they uh, wanted for their neighborhood. And now it's the, one of the most popular tourist destinations in, in, in Southern California. 20 or 30,000 people on a weekend come to walk around, or did before the pandemic, walk around in old Pasadena. And a complete mixture of ages and races and, and uh, everything you want to think of in terms of diversity. You'll find them walking around in old Pasadena. And um, who walks around in alleys in neighborhoods? Well, they, they, they took all the trash and dead animals and things like that of the alleys. They repaved them. They planted street trees. And now all the alleys are walkways for, for outdoor restaurants. And it was all paid for, all the public aspects of it were paid for by the, the parking meters. And then once the city did what only the city can do, which is provide all these new public services, then the private property owners restored their properties, which is an expensive uh, uh, proposition, as you can imagine, if you have to follow the national standards on historic preservation. And it didn't Did, pay to restore their buildings before the meters went in and the, the public services got there. It, it didn't pay because the rents weren't sufficient to, to, to compensate. But now uh, the rents will, will, will compensate for historic preservation. So I think get, to make them popular, uh, park meters popular, if you uh, have people identifying it with what, what they want. Um, and I think around the world, if, if uh, park meters become associated with or identified with uh, a free Wi-Fi, even in very low income countries, or maybe countries, or even especially in low income countries, they'll say, I like this, because most people in a low income uh, uh, city don't own a car. Um, and then the third uh, part of my uh, proposal after the, charging the right price for curb parking and spending the revenue in the right way is to remove all street parking requirements. Um, 
that's another thing that essentially happened in, in, in Old Town Pasadena, that how could all of those restaurants open up in, 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 in buildings without any parking? Uh, say Los Angeles would never allow that, or most cities would never allow that. They say, well, where is the required parking? Because you can't use a building um, uh, for any new use unless you have the spaces required for that use. So how did we how did we get here? How did we get to the point where there's all this parking required everywhere? Well, I think it started around. Uh, in the 1930s, that's when the first ones were, were, were established. And at the time, the politicians thought it worked like a miracle because it didn't cost the, um, the city anybody and it didn't cost the, the, the citizens, I mean, the, 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 uh, uh, the people who, who went to the stores, it didn't seem to cost them anything. Nobody knew who paid for the parking. But... Um, and there was a terrific shortage of parking because they weren't charging anything on the street. Um, if you're going to have free on-street parking, you have to have off-street parking requirements or everybody will say, how did you let this restaurant open when there's no parking? Um, so I think that from the 1930s to the 19, well, it stopped by World War II, but in the 1950s, it was the most I've never heard of any planning regulation that spread faster around the country than all street parking requirements because wow. they, hide, they hide the cost of free parking. Uh, they hide it in the cost of developing the property. And then that, that cost gets shifted to, to everybody. Why did it spread so fast? Cause everybody was just super excited about cars. It was like a new technology, well, like, well, no, not technology. Most people don't even know that minimum parking requirements exist. Uh, well, I mean cars, you know, like cars. Yeah. So people were excited, and, and, and that is why this spread across the country so fast. Like, Well, the cars had already spread. America was, was uh, automobilized by the 1920s. Uh, mm -hmm. And even in Los Angeles, by 1920, more people were coming to downtown by car than by mass transit. Um, mm, okay. So I think that it, it was, uh, it, it seemed to be uh, a free parking, a, a way to get free parking. Everybody wanted free parking. It was good for, for, for drivers, obviously. So, so I think if, once you, you know, have if, them, it's hard to get rid of them. Right, because it's the built environment. Well, no, because uh, the, the residents will say, you can't allow this uh, office building near our neighborhood without parking because they'll park in our neighborhood. You know, that they'll, they'll, they'll overcrowd so the parking. How do you get past that? How do you sell this to people, you know? Well, the way you sell it to people is to have these parking benefit districts like in old Pasadena so that you start charging for curb parking and you start spending the revenue in the best way. They, they, they earn about a one and a half million dollars a year. Uh, they spend um, a lot on nightly uh, street sweeping and sidewalk cleaning, removing all graffiti. Right, and, right. and they have... Um, uh, a lot of you know Christmas decorations, and they they do everything like a, a business improvement district would do, but it's all paid for by the parking meter. So that's the way to make it, it popular, and to say, well, well, we don't need these off street parking requirements anymore uh, because there's available curb parking, and they built uh, public parking garages with ground floor retail. Uh, that were also paid for by the parking meters.
they, they did that in Pasadena with parking on top of ground store retail? Yes, the, you've probably been there that when you go to Old Pasadena, there are three or four public parking garages. And when you walk along the sidewalk, you don't even know it's a parking structure because there are restaurants and travel shops and, and, and any kind of retail. Yeah, we're talking about on Colorado by Lake or something like that or over by Fair, Colorado and Fair, right? Yeah, that's that, right. That's, that is a very nice walkable place now. That's, they did a good job with that. Okay. Well, you, your initial question is how do you make these parking meters popular on the right pricing? The way to do it is to do what Pasadena is that every penny that goes into the parking meters come right out the other side and cleans the sidewalk and uh, 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 trims the street trees and removes graffiti. And, um, and, so and where else exactly besides... Where else besides business districts should we be doing this? Well, I think it could be done uh, in LA and in um, big cities and permit parking districts. Now, the, the, most of the crowded areas, uh, uh, residential areas that have permit parking, but it's uh, in, in LA, it, it, I think it's about $35 a year, which is what, 10 cents a day for parking in Koreatown. You know, hmm. and it was hmm. one of the hardest places in Los Angeles to park. Um, so I think the, the better way to do that would be to charge market prices for the permits. That if you want a permit to park on this wildly expensive land, you have to pay for it. Um, and that money would be used to pay for the benefits. I, I did estimate for San Francisco, if they charged uh, the market price for on-street parking in the the neighborhood uh, around the Fairmont Hotel in Chinatown, uh, they could give a free transit pass for everybody who lives in the district. And wow. only about 10% of the people own a car. So if it came to a vote, say, well, do you think we should charge market prices for our on-street parking in San Francisco where housing is so expensive and land is so expensive? If we just charge drivers for parking on... In, on the street, we could give every single person who of every all ages a free transit pass. So I think if it were it came to an election, which it hasn't had yet, I, I think the people would say, "Well, I like this idea of it, it's fair that drivers should pay for what they're using." I mean, we didn't become a great nation by being a bunch of freeloaders, but when it comes to <laughs> When it comes to parking, we want to be freeloaders. I suppose you probably park at KPF. Anybody who drives, would you park free at KPFK? We do park free at KPFK, and we do drive there. Okay. Both me well, and Nick, and this is okay. a show called Bike Talk. Can you believe that? Well, I'll suggest something that you <laughs> KPFK ought to do for you and for all bicyclists is that the law in California it doesn't apply to you because you're too small. It's only for firms that are – does KPFK? Well, does uh, the, the whole chain have more than 50 employees in California? Nick, do you know? Does KPFK have more than 50 employees? Uh, then 55-0? No. no. I'm pretty well, sure any, any employer in California with more than 50 employees who rent the parking spaces to give free to the employees, they have to offer the employees the cash value of the parking space. Wow. And tell you, like KPFK that maybe does, say you could have free parking or nothing. 
That's mm -hmm. the typical arrangement. Free parking at work is or the most nothing. common fringe benefit, much more than than pensions or health care or anything like that. It's free. It, it is a tax exempt free, free uh, fringe benefit. You don't have to pay any taxes on the value of what you get. <laughs> so this this discriminates against bicyclists. Yeah. And pedestrians and transit riders, and they're the lower income <laughs> part of the population. And it has a racial aspect too. When I uh, did the, the first study that led to the legislation, Washington DC has since copied the legislation, is that for every white commuter who, who rides transit, there were 36 uh, white commuters who drove to work alone. And for every wow. black commuter who rode transit, there were four people who drove to work alone. So here's something, it wasn't meant to be a racial uh, uh, prejudice. And people probably didn't, KPFK probably didn't think it was discriminating against low income people or, or minorities, but it has that effect. Mm. So my first, publication on parking was, uh, I think it was 1975, it was 120 pages on equity in transportation. So I started out saying, what's fair? And when you look at what's fair, I think it's, I think employer paid parking is without the cash option is very unfair. Was, was there no one back in the 30s and 40s advocating to, you know, curb this insanity? Oh, I don't think so. It's, it, there were probably many more people trying to make it go, uh, go faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So many people had cars. And when you own a car, you, when you drive to work, you don't think you're doing any harm or that you're getting any great benefit. Uh, in fact, if KPFK started charging you 100 a month for free parking, I mean, for parking, you'd probably go up the wall. So I think I would, I would actually ride my bike there. I would just okay, but if they offered you $50, free parking or $50 a month, maybe you would use mm -hmm. that $50 a month to, to get an electric bike. <laughs> if I had life to do over again, I think I'd buy it, do it on an electric uh, bike. On an electric bike, okay, yeah. The, I, those are the new thing. They're, that could be the solution for Los Angeles, is if everybody got on scooters and electric bikes. Well, I, I previously disapproved of electric bikes. I thought if I'm going to risk my life on a bicycle, I ought to get some exercise. But the first time I rode it, I thought... You get it exercise. A, it's yeah. like riding with the wind behind your back, always. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think that that may be one of the ways forward of the future is if we offer parking cash out that nobody would ever be offered free parking or nothing. <laughs> they would right, always right. be offered free parking or cash, which you could use for to take the bus or, or a carpool or whatever. So there are lots of things that we could do. I, and the reason I think that it's at least is talking about it on the radio it seems so easy is because our current policies are so screwed up. They're so badly put <laughs> together that we should be able to think of a way to make everybody better off like parking cash out. It seems to make everybody better off. But what it means is that we're not being unjust to people who don't drive to work. Right. We should be rewarding people for not driving to work. 
Well, I think if parking cash out doesn't give any, any uh, special benefit to bicyclists, it just says you get the same thing as a driver. Of course, you could give more to a bicyclist than to a driver. But oh, right that's now, what I'm saying. You know, you're risking, you're out there risking your life. Maybe we give you some health insurance or something for uh, well, a bike. Well, <laughs> I, I'm I, just I, thinking I think, like utopian here. Yes. Just utopia. Well, they could charge you for parking and add it to your health insurance. That I think that would be a better way go. to subsidize something like that. commuters. Yeah, um, we have some we have some uh, listeners that have sent in a question. We have a question here: Can you quantify the value of street parking versus bike lanes or enhancing other forms of transportation? Like, if you can quantify that so that we can use it as data as activists or people that go to city hall, if that's the right avenue even to get these changes to happen. We have the data that says uh, street parking is less valuable than bike lanes. You know, is there a way to quantify that? Well, it depends. And I think, yes, there is a way to, to quantify it. I thought about this when I was talking to the people in, in Montreal on the earlier podcast today, is that if we charge the right price for curb parking, like in Pasadena, you know exactly how much revenue the meters yield. And you say, well, that's how much revenue you would lose if you converted it into a bus lane, for example, for, on, on Colorado Boulevard. It probably makes more sense for a bus lane than a bike lane because the bike oh. lane could go one, one block north or one block south. Um, okay, well, th is that a conflict where you would say, okay, we're going to take out these money-generating parking spots and put in a bus lane or put in a bike lane? Yes, and I think it does generate money? Yes, it can. If the transit agency pays what they would, what the meters would have earned, the transit agency can buy the bus lane. Whoa, so you wouldn't, okay. you, it wouldn't be a political decision. City council doesn't have to say, well, how much should we spend on this or that? It, it, would, it would be the transit agent was at the transit agencies like on Colorado Boulevard, if they, they would, the right price for, for, for parking would speed up the traffic. There wouldn't be anybody cruising, searching for a curb space. That, that Why not? Why wouldn't people... Well, because if you could see a curb, an open curb space on every block, nobody's going to hunt for parking. Oh, right. The pricing. Yes, yes, yes. The, and then you, also if you have the bus lane, then there's no parking. Gotcha. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's so a thing. There could be hundreds of people uh, being, uh, traveling at higher speed in, the bus, uh, speed in the bus lane, and just a few curb parkers would have to move off, uh, park off street. So that's how you would monetize the, 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 the curb parking and say, should we do something else with the land? If the parking is free, you have no idea what the parking spaces are worth. But if you start right. charging for it, like gasoline or for Well, fire, I think, okay, let me tell you, I worked on an action actually a few years ago for Griffith Park where the, they were having problems with lots of cars coming into the park and they took away one of the interior roads that used to be car free that, that myself and a lot of friends would bicycle on or people would hike on it. They took that road and they opened it up to park cars there thinking they were going to solve the parking issue. Well, we worked on a plan based on your philosophy, uh, based on 
charging for parking and paying for public service, which was the dash bus. So we, my friend and I, who's into transportation, is like a transponder on a way higher level than me. He set up a budget for how much it was going to cost and how much we should charge for parking. We were going to do uh, that system where it's like demand-based parking fees kind of thing. They, they ended up implementing it and they're making, they're charging $10 an hour for parking now. It's crazy. Like they're making so much money off of parking. Now, where are they charging $10 an hour for all oh, At the observatory top uh, lot. Oh yes, top, yeah, not curb parking. At, at, curb at parking the, and curb parking all the way down, oh, down really? uh, Western Canyon. Yes, this is, I, I got to send you the, the, um, the, the plans we we made a whole movement to uh, push them into doing this paid for parking because they didn't want to do paid parking because they tried it in the past and always gets shot down by the you know Griffith Park park goers they just scream about it and Tom Abange who was the council member there wasn't into it but we put together a big coalition of people of hikers and bikers and and uh, urban planners and so forth. And we signed petitions saying we want to be charged for parking and yes. we want that money to go to the dash bus service. And they, they've, they've, they've been making a lot of money. They started out at four an hour and we thought that was a lot, $4 an hour, but it's now at $10 an hour. Last time I, well, maybe, I rode my bike maybe, up there. Maybe that's the right price for parking. Maybe that's the lowest so. price they can charge and still have some spaces for, for uh, anybody who runs. So that's the parking benefit district. So you're a living example of the answer to the question you asked. How do we make this popular? How do we make charging for parking popular? You know, in that neighborhood, what, what we had on our side was the homeowners associations around Griffith Park. They were sick of like all the traffic coming through the neighborhood. So when we were selling it to those groups, it was like, Hey, charge for parking. And that discourages people from driving into the park, pay for the bus. They were, they were on board with that. You know, as long as there was like protections for their parking in their neighborhood. Well, I, th I think, yeah. So you have to protect homeowners. I think, people will, will tell you that they're willing to do anything to stop global warming or prevent injustice so long as it doesn't affect their park. You know, in this instance, though, restricting, because if they would have charged for parking and left the, the adjacent neighborhood open, there would still be a huge traffic problem because everybody oh, would definitely. be in the neighborhood. It's a permit so district. The permitting was a good, I think that was a good, yeah, I think they already had it maybe or, or uh, you know, they got it as a result of this. But uh, it discourages people from parking in the neighborhood. I think that's fair for them because that's still a traffic problem. And it, it means that people can take the bus up there. So I can see why everybody is better off. Well, listen, it thank you very much yeah. for inviting me. I think uh, my half hour <laughs> is about over. Yeah, yeah, any, yeah. Final, any final question you have? You know, um, we, you know, we just appreciate you coming on the show, um, Mr. Shoup and Professor Shoup, and uh, are big fans, and we'd love to have you back on, and, and uh, anytime that you have something you want to get off your chest or get the word about, you know, 
please feel free to contact us. We'll have you on the show. Well, this is about all I know, so I better stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Too. Goodbye. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for Take coming care. on. Okay, we're going to do the news with Taranig now. Hi all, I'm Taranig from Have a Go, here with your weekly bike news. After a dramatic decline during the early months of the pandemic, electric scooters and e-bikes have done wonders for getting new people riding. Two new studies in Lisbon and Toronto again find the most effective technology for increasing two-wheeled adoption is complete and protected bike lanes. Like the three rules of real estate, the three rules of bike adoption seem to be infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Google Maps has developed end-to-end directions for bike sharing stations in 10 markets with directions for walking to and from docks, making it much easier to plan out and use local docked bike sharing systems. Lots of bike news coming out of the UK. First, English residents will now have much more control over poorly designed bike infrastructure as well as cut through traffic on local roads and will see the creation of a new watchdog group that oversees bike and pedestrian paths. Second, the country's Prime Minister Boris Johnson as well as family doctors will start prescribing cycling to help COVID and obesity. And finally, a plan to adopt low traffic neighborhoods prioritizing walking and cycling in London has accelerated from three years to just three weeks, taking advantage of a drop in traffic due to the lockdowns. As the pandemic continues, it is changing the way many Chinese move around, causing more and more people to opt for bike sharing instead of public transport, and increasing the electrification of bikes and scooters. Sharing providers are also thinking differently, using AI and big data to rebalance their vehicles more intelligently to better match the vehicles to areas with higher demand. Finally, Bicycle Magazine publishes 14 powerful stories from black riders who write about their experiences about cycling while black. The feature tackles difficult issues of racism and law enforcement as it relates to mobility on two wheels. That's a wrap for this week. You can follow Have A Go on Twitter and Instagram for daily urbanism posts and stories. Thank you. All right, that was the news with Taranay. Nick and I are going to throw it over to Yolanda T. Davis Overstreet. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a new segment <laughs> on Bike Talk that we're super excited about, of course. And uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's an ongoing, ongoing show. So this is going to be fun. So Yolanda, you have some guests. This yes. is We the People, Black Lives Rollin' is the name of the show. And uh, we throw it over to you. Okay, Nick and I will be you. back at 7. At seven. Okay. Did you guys get just to... Well, we're going to stay on, but we're just going to... Yeah, I didn't know if you had your other guests um, and how we're looking for time. We have a guest on at seven o'clock. His name is Matthew Mooney. He's a uh, urban planner. He's African-American and he's one of my best friends in the world, actually. And He has a lot of things to say. We've been activists together on things. Oh, very nice. So we'd love to have you stay on. Okay. And... uh, join that conversation too. So we throw it over to you. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much. How are you guys doing today? This evening? I don't hear you. Uh, Nick, you want to take everybody's mic? Let's take your mics off. All right. Well, first off, just thank you guys for for joining uh, me this evening on We the People, Black Lives Rolling. And I'm, I'm so happy I had the pleasure to be able to share that I have met each and every one of you at some point over the past years and was able to just put the word out and you guys made it happen and said, yes, I can come 
this evening. Um, so before I start, uh, because I, I wanted to see if we had a little extra time, like we did uh, at our last session, but it looks like we're going to try to, you know, cram all these wonderful stories and um, in this 30 minutes. And I know I'll have you guys back at some point on this journey for more conversations. Um, before we start, um, I just want to make a note that We the People, Black Lives Rolling actually is an organic process that just came out of Nick and Don asking me would I like to come on the show and be able to share more conversations of Black Lives um, at the intersection of bike riding and everything that you guys will be sharing um, with us today. And each, uh, it'll be every other week and I pretty much pick a topic that I can uh, bring in a diverse conversations because we have diverse experiences. Mm -hmm. So with uh, this is Bike Talk and pretty much I just want to note that this is a virtual conversation series uh, that will bring attention to not only Black Lives Bicycling, but also to both the issues and healing solutions around the social and political and economic challenges that we, uh, the people face in Los Angeles, America and globally. As tonight, we actually have a, a global Black Live sister with us. Um, and our goal is to tap into uh, the less heard, multi-generational narratives and our experiences. And then also to tap into, and you guys, you know, we're just going to flow with this, but healing solutions that have worked in your life, because I know that each of you have shared with me kind of, and, and or I've seen some amazing post um, that you've shared on healing solutions on your journey. And basically has bicycling or outdoor spaces and um, that liberation that we are able to experience when we're moving around um, in outdoor spaces, whether it's biking, walking, sitting at a park and how we can basically uplift that more without harm coming to us. So thank you again for coming. And I just want to make a little introduction that uh, this evening we have Lula Carter uh, from Black Lives, I mean, uh, Black, Black Lives, but Black Girls Do Bike LA. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Callie Michaela um, Malika yes, uh, from, yes, from uh, Soul to Soil. And also she is a PMG uh, past team member on uh, that's where I met her. And then we also have Tiffany, Tiffany Robinson, who is a senior active molds, molds uh, coordinator for walking at Auckland Transport in New Zealand. Wow, yeah. that's a mouthful. Um, yeah. I have it included all of your um, links on our Facebook and Instagram. Um, post and also I'll share more information after our talk today. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, and the big question that I asked, um, because this is also the anniversary year, a 38th anniversary year for Black Women's Health Imperative. Uh, so all week they've had a lot of uh, interviews and conversations with Black women of all ranges talking about our connection uh, to the earth to society and also how we move forward. So I wanted to definitely include that because without our health, we can't bike, you know, we can't walk, we can't sit at the tables. And also uh, in terms of, you know, green space and kind of how that ties in. And uh, the last conversation with Donald, when he's talking about parking and how we can actually beautify as well as sustain our communities when it comes to these things parking spaces, 
I, I it, it was kind of hard for me to imagine in um, uh, communities of color that first the sanitation uh, department and our transportation department need to first clean the street and then work with putting bike lanes in our street and crosswalks. Um, and then all of this does connect to our health. So I, I just want to dive in and we'll start with Lula uh, in terms of what does this mean for you in terms of and how you how are you doing? Awesome. You know, I mean, you know, you can roll that in there and then tell us what this topic means to you today. Um, well, first of all, I'm doing good. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to be here and share the stage with you ladies. Um, yeah. When it comes to cycling for me personally and the women that I've had the opportunity to ride with, I know a lot of women have recuperated from different diseases and surgeries. They use cycling as their mode of getting around and healing themselves. Um, personally, have, being a heart attack survivor, mm. it was important for me to get more active and I started out doing marathons, but then I crawled over to cycling after I saw them taking off one time in Long Beach. So it was like, oh, I can do that too. You know, <laughs> so yes, for me, yeah. every pedal that I push, every time I push my pedals, I'm pushing to keep, that's one more stroke to keep my heart healthy and keep it moving. Mm -hmm. And it's like that for a lot of the ladies. I have a lot of ladies when I do my breast cancer rides, um, they're breast cancer survivors. So a lot of them has used that as their mode mm -hmm. to just get back on track, to stay focused and just deal with the fact of being cancer survivors. So it's very that's amazing. Yes, yes, yes. And now we're going to roll back around because I know that's a mouthful with what you just shared, just from a standpoint of being and Lula and I kind of had a heart to heart conversation um, several weeks ago and, and her journey is amazing and the determination of black women um, rolling um, in every aspect that you guys have connected with uh, inspires me. So Tiffany, would you like to share kind of your take and how you're doing and you know, in this time and just thank you for joining us in from New Zealand and what time is it over there? <laughs> it's, it's one, it's a little after 1.30 in the afternoon on okay. Saturday. Okay. Um, wow. So, yes. <laughs> international. <laughs> yeah. International. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm pretty fresh to New Zealand. Um, it'll be two years in September, but living my life in the United States, growing up in New York, spending a lot of time living in LA, um, and going to school in Boston, those cities and even just understanding what it means and by nature being a planner, um, mm -hmm. understanding that when we talk about a green environment, traditionally green has not meant us, yeah. right? And so how do we actually get into that space? How do we get people to see that it is actually important? Um, and when we talk about, I don't like to use or bring this up, but privilege does play a part. I did not learn to ride a bike until I was in my 30s. And people wow. looked at me and were like, what? You don't know how yeah. to ride a bike? Like, things that you take for granted were not actually available in our neighborhoods. I grew up in New York. Not that it was, like, the most, like, terrible neighborhood, but we just, there was no place for a bike. There was no hmm. place for me to ride it. There was not an opportunity for me to learn how to do it. So, and I thought I was alone. And just recently, uh, this woman that I follow, Lavia Jai, she polled people 
do you know how to ride a bike? Because she was considering getting a trike. And there were so many women, so many black women that said no. And no one is going after us. No one is saying, hey, do you know how to ride? Let me show you. So to me, when we talk about this topic, it's about how do we actually get people in our own community to love what it means to be on a bike. I've been a bike ped planner for all my life, but I usually use my feet. I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah, yeah. But during lockdown, I was like, man, if I knew how to ride a bike right now, I would be out there. Wow. <laughs> you know, so I did learn, but I don't actually have one. Um, so knowing what it is, knowing what it is to have that freedom to be able to ride and also the freedom and value in having a neighborhood where the air is clean mm -hmm. and you can actually take a walk and smell fresh air right? To have trees planted in your neighborhood to give you that feeling of what it is to truly be in a green environment. And I think that we owe it to ourselves as planners to actually plan for these things, to actually promote green opportunities in our neighborhoods, whether that's e-bikes, e-vehicles, all of that, to promote sustainable transportation. And we can't just take it for granted. Being green is not just recycling. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's my thought. <laughs> That's powerful. That's so, so much I, I want to say, but I'm going to come back to that. Um, I would say that you, you really tapped into just one of the key things, which is um, who's speaking to us, who is speaking to black women in particular of all our different levels. And it, it is kind of amazing or also kind of jolting that so many black women aren't on bikes that we can actually have more that this can actually be a remedy you know from from a t standpoint of our health i know that that's pretty much where my health um comes from and kind of the long run is because i've been biking ever since i was a kid um and so now we're going to go to kelly how are you doing hi nice to be here thank you for nice. inviting me so for sure for sure it's been a minute and yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, you know, we have to all do catching up, but uh, what, is, what does this topic mean to you in terms of Black women, our health, bicycling, and green spaces? Um, so all of that together for me just means um, embracing nature as a home outside of our physical dwellings because I mean, I was very fortunate when I grew up. I learned how to ride a bike early, but I also was a Girl Scout and I learned to love and embrace nature. And so anytime I've had any type of stress, I know that the remedy is gonna be outside doing something. Um, most of my interests lead me outside. Um, Soul and Soil is a gardening initiative, but um, cycling, is really something that it's it's freeing there's liberation there and especially um if you have if you're dealing with like emotional issues or trauma or um just the burdens of everyday life or if you're feeling overburdened um bicycling being outside going for a hike being in green spaces is like a moving meditation so it goes beyond just the a to B transportation um, element of it, where it becomes itself is its own medicine, yes. you know, and a healing, an opportunity to heal. And there's so many different opportunities. And um, growing up as a Girl Scout and <laughs> nature yeah. fanatic, I grew up being one of very few 
African-American women, black women, women of color in those circles, in those spaces. So when people say camping and I'm like hands in the air, I'm usually one of nobody that looks like me or represents me, you know? And so I think it's very important that we, that those of us that do have that passion and do, do feel that connection and understand the healing that it provides, um, that we reach out and share that um, passion with others, you know? Yeah, I would say that I know when you and I did the Green Book ride, mm -hmm. uh, Callie, along Central Avenue, you know, we did have this conversation on bikes, yeah. rolling through a red line community as we were discussing the history of not only Central Avenue, but most communities that um, probably we have all lived in at one point of our, in our lives throughout the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that how bicycling brings and creates community. And that's yeah. where I also um, discovered some of Callie's um, healing, uh, I would say lifestyles that she as a mom and individual uh, also incorporate in her life. Mm -hmm. And I think for most women um, that aren't on bikes and aren't walking or not having these green conversations, you know, I think that they need to hear voices like yours Definitely. to be able to inspire them in one way or another and to understand that they're not alone. In right. some cases, we all, as, and I think I'm hearing that, and I know you guys have all experienced it, at one point or another, you were the only Black woman in the room, yeah. <laughs> you know, advocating for what we're talking about. Right. Um, and so in terms of, uh, you know, how, how do you think we can move forward and increasing and getting more black women on bikes. But it's not just about, oh, you need to go get a bike. You know, that's not gonna work because that's you saying that. How, are, how can we have this conversation or can you tell us some things that have worked for you in terms of including more black women in this conversation around bikes, around green space? And also, as I had posted out um, last night, this particular show is dedicated to Brianna Taylor, um, I, I am in every space that I get in, uh, I will be creative. We all need to be creative about how we still also stand for justice because we can't have this conversation without also um, having a justice conversation. So actually before we just move on, because um, I'm, I'm trying to get as much in as I can, I would just like to take a few moments of silence before we come and we talk about healing approaches that you think we can do or, or questions that you have that we still need to answer. So if we can just take a moment um, of silence for Brianna and the justice that the, her murders be brought to justice and that we can exist both in outdoor spaces and even in indoor spaces. Thank you. Thank you for that. So healing, justice, uh, more questions around green space, uh, black women's health, our health, bicycling, outdoor spaces, parking spaces, uh, vacant spaces that can in some way move in our communities of color to more healing spaces. And I think a bike is a tool. It's a tool that's got me here. What's your thoughts on that, Lula? Well, for me personally, and for, like I said, I have over 1300 members in Black Girls Do Bike Los Angeles. We're the largest chapter of the organization. 
and it's exciting to me when a woman discovers bikes first of all mm -hmm. and then to have her come out on her first ride and it's like i don't think i can do that many miles and it's just like no don't think of it as miles come on we're gonna have a good time you know we're gonna laugh and joke and before you know it, we've done 20 miles and they're like what? wait what <laughs> <laughs> See, it's like you were in your head saying what you couldn't do yeah, but I distracted yeah. you and kept you entertained so you were able to do it not even realizing it and then they get addicted to it then it's like they have mm -hmm. to go they have to go so yeah. just to see them go from being so unsure about being able to ride to where they're doing 20 30 40 miles on each ride that's a big it just it, it brings so much joy to my heart to be able to see them progress to that level and it's just you see it, you can see the change in them, their whole attitude, mm -hmm. their whole mood, their whole spirit, everything kind of changes as they evolve into becoming cyclists. And it's interesting when we get together because we're not your typical cyclist. Let's just be honest. A cyclist is a <laughs> white man about, you know, this big, right. you know, and a lot of us have a little, a little, you know, a little extra in certain areas. So when they see us, it's just like, wait, where'd you guys come from? You know, yeah. it's yeah. like, we're here and we're going to continue to be here. And mm -hmm. I'm just excited to see so many women during this pandemic has discovered cycling and i'm hoping it continues beyond mm -hmm. just the pandemic they're using it as a way because they can't really do what they would normally do but they're cycling more now so i'm extremely excited to see that and can't wait until we can all get together in group rides when it's safe to be able to do that together yeah how how what's your thoughts on that i know we've talked on it but in terms of COVID, and and how are you you know um, just dealing with that on, on, on all levels, on all fronts. I, well, being a heart attack survivor and a cancer survivor, I'm hot, double high risk. So mm -hmm. I've been in since March mm -hmm. and I, I'm still riding every day, but I'm riding mm -hmm. on a bike trainer. Mm -hmm. And I've also created Zoom rides where we get together. The ladies are in their homes and we get together on Wednesdays and uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, and we Zoom together. I have playlists that I play, and we ride together, and we just talk. Nice. That's the way we're able to still connect and ride together, even though we can't be in each other's physical space. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, that's that. Yeah, that's a that's a list of of uh, <laughs> tangible um, healing approaches. Um, and Tiffany, what what do you have for us? Um, so it's, it's interesting. Oh, hold on a second. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, our, uh, our COVID experiences are different actually. Um, so we were encouraged to actually go out and walk and cycle. Um, even though, even in the heart of lockdown being level four lockdown, you can't do anything else, but you can do, you were allowed to do that as long as it was local. Um, and I think that the beauty of being able to walk or cycle when you can. Um, I personally like to walk. Um, it's free. I recognize the privilege that I have as an able-bodied person to be able to do that um, without restriction. Um, but I will say that I wanted to buy a bike, but I, there's a lot of hills here. And the only thing that <laughs> will work is an e-bike. Yes. Is an yes. e-bike. Yes. And yes. I can't afford an e-bike at this moment. Um, so uh, again, privilege of like being mm -hmm. able to own a bike. 
<laughs> yes, I hear um, and just yes. Yeah, so walking is free for me. So uh, that's what I do. But there is such a beautiful sincerity in enjoying the environment around you and being able to walk. Um, I was just speaking to my aunt. She's looking for a house, and she said her only requirement is that the neighborhood has a sidewalk. And I'm just wow. thinking to myself, wow. Like, we're not even asking for bike lanes or this and that. We just want a sidewalk. A sidewalk. To go out and enjoy what everyone else is and to do it in, an, in a way that we're safe. Very often, you know, certain neighborhoods and just how can we make our spaces safe for people to be able to go out and enjoy them? So that, that's kind of where my mindset always is as a planner and in the role that I do. And I will always continue to fight for that. Um, I've been taking public transport since I was eight. Um, and so I've always been out there walking, taking the bus, all of that. So being able to really create an environment for others to yes. enjoy on their mm -hmm. time, that's what most, that's what's most important to me and what I hope to push forward. Oh. And to piggyback off of what mm -hmm. Tiffany just said, mm -hmm. I said this in the last town hall meeting that I was in, it's not fair to us as African-Americans that in order for us to ride and be safe, we have to get in our car and ride like 20, 30 miles to get somewhere where it's safe mm -hmm. for us to ride. We should be able yeah. to ride in our own neighborhoods and be safe just like if we were in the non-Black neighborhood. Right. 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 Correct. Okay, I, this is like already a, a three-hour show. I already know that. This is a teaser. This is a trailer. Callie, I'm, I'm going into you. Um, All right. Share. I know you've got some more powerful healing words. Yeah. For us. So um, I was in a car accident at the early. I think it was the towards the end of 2019, and it was my second car accident since I had been back. And so I decided I wasn't going to get inside of another car. <laughs> for a while and I turned cycling and public transportation into my primary mode of transportation. This was um, around the same time when I stopped working with PMJ. And so um, I had already been influenced and saw that, you know, I can move safely, I can move on the side streets and then the pandemic hit. And so our classrooms, you know, school shutdowns, school closures. And I, when I tell you that the first, um, I think it was a Wednesday that I left my house and I saw that the streets were empty. Yeah. And I was like, oh. yes. <laughs> I was so excited yeah. because I was like, this is paradise. And mm -hmm. I secretly hope that um, some elements of these things just turn into a permanent situation. I really mm -hmm. love being able to get on my bicycle and go do my um, my grocery shopping or just ride around the neighborhood without any direction or destination. Um, just doing that in a safe way. It's like mm -hmm. um, Lulu was expressing like, it's the shame that we feel that we have to go outside of our neighborhoods in order to ride safely. And I think a lot of that comes down to education. And mm -hmm. so when you have education for drivers, not even so much for cyclists, but for drivers, yeah. you know, I, I can't tell you the amount of times where I've had people pull up behind me honking their horn because I'm in the, yes. and I, because I take the lane, if, if yeah. I do take the lane, which I try not to, um, assuming that I'm breaking the law somehow, you know. Right, right, right. Um, right. I even had one of my students, I rode to work and their parent 
pulled up behind me honking and whatever. And then when I went to class, the kid came to class, told everyone in school that I was driving, riding my bike illegally in the street. And I was what? supposed to be on the sidewalk and his mom told me off. Wow. <laughs> A whole little education program just But really that liberation, especially when you feel like, I know a lot of people are taking the, the um, shutdowns as like almost being imprisoned or like, you know, now I can't do anything or go anywhere and do the things that I like to do. But if you look now you actually, there's a liberation there. There's like this freedom, you know, you have the, you're the freedom to walk or freedom to run. I also did marathon running for a while and I would get up at five o'clock in the morning, run down the middle of my street because I don't like going up and down, you know, I just want to go straight and just getting up that early in the morning so that I could run safely, you know, wow. and a lot of that is falling away. So I think um, although this is a really critical and um, difficult time for, um, for our community, I see so many opportunities. I see so much opportunity for us to recognize that there's, um, that there's freedom, you know, that literally we take back the streets, like yes. these are our neighborhoods and, our, and we should be comfortable moving and feel safe doing that. You know. Yes, yes. Wow. Okay, well, definitely we're going to get together again. We need to continue <laughs> this uh, conversation offline and online. Um, this is the time. Uh, everything you guys have tapped into, again, you know, I have a road bike. Um, I want a different kind of bike. I, I need to switch it up. And so I think that's something that's holding me up. Lula and I had actually talked about that. I'm actually looking at um, different types of bikes from e-bikes to folding bikes, kind of fun bikes. Um, uh, bike Friday is a bike that I thought was a, when I looked at it, when I was in Minneapolis at the National Brotherhood Cycling Summit back in 2015, um, they, they pulled up this little kind of dinky looking bike compared to a, a roll bike. I'm like, I'm not riding that bike, you know, <laughs> and little did I know that's the only bike they had, but little did I know that bike had about, um, 11 gears and I rode 30 miles on that bike and wow. I, I loved it. It was a different, it was a different position. Um, it was a community ride. And so I'm influenced also by having that bike influenced me because of that experience I had. So to think, to think about it, it's kind of like when you meet someone and it's a good experience and you're not going to forget Right. you know, that person. Right. So, or now I'm not going to forget that bike. I know we, um, Don and Nick have a, another guest on. So I just want to thank you all for sharing your insights. I am working to continue these conversations and um, longer because what we're talking about are solutions and how we can move forward for black lives. We, the people and also standing for justice. So thank you, uh, Don and Nick. Um, we're, you know, pushing it. We have to talk fast, but thank you for this time. <laughs> we got to work on this. We got to, yes. we got to break you out into a full fledged show. Exactly. Just do like a, do like a three hour or whatever. Um, we have, we have one here. I think they have uh, to, to go back and just listen to what Lula, Tiffany and Callie have shared today from a standpoint of healing solutions, as well as uh, questions and issues that we still face and that we need to get on board um, and not only reimagine, but to make our community safer to bike and to live. Yeah, right. right on.
Thanks. Thank you for, Thank you for coming on Thank the show. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we invite anybody that wants to uh, continue on with us. We're bringing on um, our, our old friend, Matthew Mooney, who is a, uh, he's an urban planner. He's a, he, he graduated with an urban planning degree and he's a musician and he's an all around, all out activist. He's a former chair of the transportation committee for Silver Lake neighborhood council where there was all kinds of drama going on that made it fun but also lots of drama so Mooney welcome to the show your mic there it is boom welcome to the show how rap, you doing man what are you gonna rap about tonight hey Nick how you doing hey Mooney good I how are you great yeah long time no see long time no see yeah uh, but I see your comments on Facebook all the time. <laughs> and I'm always uh, inspired. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Mooney, Mooney is uh, quite... Oh, no. That's my other world. Let's talk what we're going to talk about right here. That person doesn't even <laughs> exist. That person doesn't exist. Only this person right here exists tonight. Okay. Only see what's me. in front of us. Right. Um, Mooney, you now live in long beach i do i've been there for almost five years almost five years how is it way out there what is what's going on in long beach is it uh, it's i i mean i've been to long beach quite a bit it's pretty bike friendly right it's very bike friendly um even when they don't necessarily even put in infrastructure it's bike friendly right because the drivers are or it's a it's a tight little city, so the drivers are driving slow. It um, uh, a lot of people don't realize it. Uh, Long Beach is about the size of San Francisco area-wise, so um, it's real easy to get from one end to the other. And um, I don't know what happened with the planning, you know, mid-century planning, but um, there's a lot of Long Beach that is still very old. I live in a very old section of Long Beach, and it, and it's not just a small you know, configuration of historical district. Uh, this goes on all the way out east, almost all the way to the other side of this. Well, yeah, pretty much the other side of the city. Um, as long as you say south of Pacific Coast Highway. So that's a pretty big area. It, it's a big area and the there's a downtown there that was built, what, in the 1800s or something like that or? We'll probably starting in the 1800s. I think it probably saw its its glory days in the 20s, just like uh -huh. the, uh, the building I live in is 1925, and it's considered part of downtown. So about that time. Right on. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a city that was designed before the car, and you you are an urban planner. I mean, I am an urban planner. Yes, and. You know, it seems like Long Beach is planned fairly well, or it was in the 19, whenever it was, 1910, 1920s. Well, what we consider good planning is, is you know, garden variety planning that they did in the 20s and the 30s. So you're going to have good planning in every city in the United States as it's pre-suburban uh, suburban exit or suburban movement. So do you, do you get involved in like local 
Long Beach politics? Oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> don't ask what? me that because I'm pretty much done with local politics. Um, are you? Altogether. I think they are um, a, great, a great way to waste good time. <laughs> okay, now you were the chair, you were the chair of the transportation committee in Silver Lake for a couple of years, right? Or at least a year. No, two and a half, three years, yeah. Yeah, and you ran a tight ship over there. You were getting things done, motions done. You had your 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 kind of co-partner. What was her name? Oh, well, I had a couple of different chairs uh-huh. that worked with me. Um, but I would say that, yeah, we got um, over 100 things that we could pinpoint to, bullet point to that we got done in about those three years. Um, At the time, I was really passionate. I really believed that we were on the cusp of something happening. So I felt even more energized. The bike community at that time was very strong, very supportive. Um, So it was good all around. But uh, I think times have changed, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, times have changed and you kind of went head to head with people on that neighborhood council. That was a very animated neighborhood council. I mean, I was on a neighborhood council in, you know, the Valley and it's like, you know, you're voting on like whether there's a crushed granite getting put into a planter somewhere or something for like real estate people. But on the Silver Lake neighborhood council, there was a lot of fireworks, a lot of emotion and uh, it seemed like an exciting place to to be. Well, um, I'll I'll leave out uh, the the um, you know the names. We're not going to name names. No, I was going to say I'll leave out the adverse like exciting. I'll leave that to be to the subjective. They can call it what they want. But it was a very li- alive uh, neighborhood council. And yeah. I also wouldn't even give it the. I would not give it the um, the leniency of calling it animated because <laughs> you know I, I think of animation I think of Bugs Bunny and, and Porky the Pig and um, no if it, if it had to be a certain type of genre it wouldn't be animation it would be horror <laughs> <laughs> it was like some Friday the 13th stuff going on <laughs> like Chucky and Jason you know, you know who Chuck and Jason were on that neighborhood council. What, what was one of the um, big issues? Was Rowena going on at that time? Um, that was one. That was one issue that they were having. But I would tell you this: everything was an issue, so it doesn't really matter what specific issue that they're arguing about. It was everything was going to be an issue, even if it didn't have to be. That's just how it was. What was the most minuscule, pocket-lit, petty issue that, that blew up into a, you know, drama? Well, I mean, there were just so many. Um, give me the most petty. Well, I can't you know. give you the most. I can probably give you one of. Because, because, I mean, when you're dealing with the entire landscape being filled and paved with pettiness, how are you, how am I, how am I going to go to a street and pick out a specific rock, pebble, or black asphalt out of the street? I can't. 
because a whole street is paved with pettiness. <laughs> but I would say that um, there was, um, um, I, thought, I thought what was petty was them, um, the right, there was going to be, the DOT was thinking about putting a right, no right turns on red from Glendale Avenue going on to, what's the other street that it bisects right there? Um, I've been Hyperion? I guess it's Glendale Hyperion, and they wanted to put like a, a no right on red. And, um, oh. and um, or was it a left turn signal? It was one of those, but boy, that was, that was a drag out war because they're going to have to now, the, the traffic's going to back up, and it's going to back up for miles. And I can't believe that you people who believe in green economy and green things want cars just idling there all day long. I could give you the name of the person who said that, but I won't. But it was a she. <laughs> uh, and the initials were uh, yeah, no, 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 no. The initials actually started with a B. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, she gave me my nickname, Petulant. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I was considered petulant. But anyway, we can. We don't have to talk with just about silver. Go ahead. I guess. I mean, we got to check off one of the boxes on the bike talk bingo, okay. which is um, us talking about old times. That's one of the boxes in bike talk bingo. Oh, okay. All right. So you, we, we, we pretty much have checked off every box. Nick asked an awkward question. Good. Of Donald Shoup, yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, oh, what was the awkward question? I want to hear it. No, we'll we'll see it. We'll edit it out, and then it doesn't get edited like out. Sex or something like what, what was it? <laughs> no, Probably a long time ago. Wasn't that exciting? Um, you know, talk about your experience. Like you, you graduated. You have an urban planning degree, and you've you've uh you've looked for jobs in the in the public sector and tell us about that experience for you well i think that i mean now it's even worse but i just think that um you know I, there is, there are jobs out there waiting for urban planners uh, absolutely um so i really can't talk about the job ex the job i mean this is like any other job experience you go out you look you know it's hard to find one and, you know hopefully finally you find one but i did i interned at ladot while i was there uh while i was in the in the midst of looking for a planning job i i interned at the ladot and um i i it was i was completely like completely bored uh, out of my head <laughs> I, mean, I love i love urban planning but this was this was just you know four walls too much and so I, um, what, what kind of made me think that I would love to be a theoretical urban planner. <laughs> that is somebody who continues to study urban planning, you know, get, maybe continue getting degrees, but no, doesn't necessarily practice it with other people in a room. Um, I went to, uh, to a LADOT after hours kind of shindig and there were on the stage we get, we get in the dirt now nick do we have a we get in the dirt theme song no you gotta let me know in advance okay <laughs> <laughs> so you're Colin, at an after hours la dot party continue yeah. 
you know, call in the globe. This is going to be hot. Um, so um, I, I sat down and I started sipping uh, whatever libation he had. And there was a, a, a band that got up and started playing. And, and in, my, in my other life, I'm, I'm a musician as well. So I sat there and I listened to the band and they were kind of like all kind of like, you know, suit. They, they looked like they didn't have that. They weren't really that relaxed. Like their shirts wasn't even this button down. It's probably button up to here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I think even one had a tie on. They kind of look like, you know, older beach boys. So um, the person next to me said, you know, all those people are people that work at the LADOT. And I was looked, oh my God. I do not want to turn into that. <laughs> oh my God. Be, I do not want to be playing, you know, guitar up to here, nah, 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 you know, at, at um, you know, after work. After at a work I, function, why not? That's like oh, a captive audience. I'm, 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 captive is the word. I do not want to be captivated in that, in that sense. So I saw that and I- you know, you know who has a good band that works in the city? Is David Summers? Do you know David Summers? What 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 is who does he work? Who is his band? Do you know who that is? is? Well, like the city. I I think he's in the planning department. And they have a planning. Yeah, yeah. No, David Summers. uh, I know he's got this band, and I think it's completely separate from his planning world. And they're like fully punk rock. Like their lyrics are fully political. Like true left. Well, in, in, in this eight day and age, you got to watch that. Dan may, may not be, I don't know, getting some raises or promotions, but you never know. So, right? Um, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, because they'll, they'll check you out. And, and the planning world is highly politicized, of course. I mean, it's the nexus right, between the people. Really? And the, well, it's the nexus between the people and the politicians. Uh, planners okay. are, are, are the only thing separating the free market from the vulnerability of the populace. So uh, it's a very important role to play. Um, Protecting the populace from the vulnerability. Protecting the vulnerability of the populace from the free market. From the free market, because the free market will completely uh, devour the populace with its, with its push in planning, if it could. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'd have uh, front-facing parking, surface parking lots outside of every business, if they could. They'll tear down the entire old town just to put in parking, because that's what they feel makes money. So the planning, the planning person is there saying, no, this is best for, it's best to keep this old structure, it's best to keep this old infrastructure, it's best to push these practices that the old places left for us, pre-automobile. So You think planning, planning is on our side is what you're saying? I'm not saying planning is on your side, I'm just saying that planning is the only mechanism, the only buffer uh-huh. between the private market and the livability of people. So... We've talked in the past and you've kind of expressed to me that you thought that there wasn't room for activists in these planning departments at cities. Like they're kind of scared of that, of uh, getting someone who's going to be strong-willed or um, principled in a way. Well, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, as far as neighborhood councils go, and even like on some levels of planning, I mean, I've, I've interviewed for some planning jobs that I'm sure I was qualified for, but because of my activism in the past, it, it you know, you, got, you get the Biden effect. 
So basically, I'm the Nina Turner of the planning world. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to be made vice president under any circumstances. Now, wait a minute. Elaborate, <laughs> elaborate on that. You know, you, well, I like how you twisted it into national politics. No, well, I mean, I, I mean, Nina Turner is incredible, and I'm not trying to compare myself to her. But I'm, I'm just saying that in that context, when you um, really believe in the principles of of what you of what planning is and how important planning is and how it affects people. If you really believe in those principles, truly believe in those principles, and you feel that it is of imminent concern that we tackle uh, the issues that are facing people in um, that urban planning can correct, right? Um, because of the slow turning wheel of politics and how long that takes, right? Your eagerness may not be welcomed. It's, yeah, because it takes years for some Ten. reason. 10. For something. 10 to, 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 to put in, I mean, you know, uh, a curb. 10. Yeah. You know what I'm you know, uh, Yolanda actually has that story. She fought eight years for a crosswalk at her school, for a kid's school. So get exactly out of here. I was I was fortunate enough to have only fought for about two and a half years to get the uh, the signal at um, um, Sunset and Edgecliff that is now there, right next to the ninety nine cent store. And that was that was you know I was just I was just in the right place at the right time. But usually those things take 10, 15 years and many lives lost. So you had, you had Mitchell Farrell there who was in favor of that, the councilman. I think he even took credit for it. He took credit for it, but he was not the impetus behind it. And he was not necessarily in favor of it you know, altogether. I had to fight that one on my own until it got to the point where I had uh, got in touch with um, those members at the LADOT that can actually move and shape things. And then mm -hmm. he came around. So um, I appreciate that he came around towards the end, but it was very, it was very um, political. He wasn't going to stick his neck out, right? Because actually they were opposing it. I had put, put the motion um, in the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council and at least three times, and they had voted it down. So this isn't something that Mitchell Farrell was going to just stick his neck out and say, yeah, let's just go ahead and go forward with it. Why would he do that when the Neighborhood Council is, is voting this down. And the reason why I, I even made a motion of it is because one of our um, um, homeless um, um, neighbors was crossing the street and he was hit and killed. And right there. And even under those circumstances, yeah, even under those circumstances, uh, they really fought against that, that uh, signal there because they felt it would back up traffic. And that's what I'm talking about is the buffer that urban, uh, you know, trained urban planners have with the rest of the populace, the most vulnerable of the populace. So you have the neighborhood council who's voting it down because they're not vulnerable to that crosswalk. They're always in their cars. They never even set foot on ground until they get into their garage. So um, um, it's just... Because your, your, your average working class Joe doesn't really have time to get on the neighborhood council and put in all the, you know, all the work it takes to be on that neighborhood council. And what ends up happening in my experience, at least, is that you get a lot of real estate people, real estate agents, 
and people that have time, you know, like older people, people with money, you know, that, that have the time also, to do this. The same effect you were describing of uh, having being an activist at the LADOT applies to neighborhood councils. They, they would, I mean, you're going to have to have enthusiasm for any job. It's, but it has to be some, it has to be contained. And that's, that's something that I think I, I learned. But even at the LADOT, it didn't really matter. I wasn't necessarily enthusiastic about working there or in, even interning there. It was, uh, I felt a stepping stone, but um, I'm not a cubicle person. Some people are, but I'm not. I don't know. I had you pegged for a cubicle person. Yeah, I, I kind of. <laughs> well, you're in a cubicle, right? Like there. I am. I'm, I'm kind of in a square. Um, yeah, where are you? Are you in your vocal booth right there, or what is that? Yeah, I'm in my studio. This is where I make all the magic happen, and um, these are some wires back there, as you see. But um, um, well, I think you have a, a question or something. I don't know. I saw something pop up, but. Um, yeah, so activists, um, I think there are waves that happen. And we might be seeing a wave right now with uh, the BLM movement and things like that, where the LADOT is probably going to reach out to get this new, this new energy. But over time, as the political wheels, as, as I say, are very slow, um, I suspect that these people probably will be winnowed out as they as time goes along. I mean, it's almost like a vampire. You just use the blood and then you get rid of them. <laughs> That's how these institutions are. You know. um, I saw that uh, Shireen made a co comment. Do you, want, do you want to come on? And hey, anybody that's on with us on Zoom is welcome to join in this conversation. Um, we want to keep it open um, to everybody, so. Urban planning militancy. Yeah, Mooney and I worked on this bridge project. That's where we met. We we uh, made it to the final meeting of some big bridge project in the neighborhood, and somehow they didn't have all their they didn't have all their 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 eyes dotted and t's crossed with their their procedure. We were able to expose like that they were transforming this beautiful bridge into basically a freeway corridor and no bike infrastructure at all. So um, we were part of the audience that was disgusted with the presentation and we started asking a bunch of questions and started causing problems and they had to actually shut the bridge project down after, I mean, we spent three years um, on this, on this project and it was very slow moving in, uh, we still got pretty much steamrolled. That was another bingo. What? That was another bingo oh, uh, square. About, oh, you talking about Glory Days is one of the bingo squares for bike. Yeah. What about um, Shireen? Is Shireen going to? Oh, the, there we there go. There she is. Hey, Shireen. Welcome to Bike Talk. We can't hear you, unfortunately. We can't hear you. I know oh, you the... unmuted, but we still can't hear you. Yeah. Something's up with the mic. Um, but you can text it. Well, wait, try, try logging or try leaving the meeting and then coming back. Nick, make sure to let her in right away. Cause I think sometimes that gets the mic working. I don't know. It's Zoom. Zoom's this little company 
that's what I like about Zoom. They're like still janky. You know, if we were doing this on Facebook, like the entire board would be categorizing all our words and sucking our blood out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's just a little. Yolanda, save okay, us. Okay, taking a meg, yeah. Uh, Mooney, are you still with us? Yes, okay. Sorry, Yolanda? Yeah, and one of the questions I think you guys were talking about, which is, again, why does it take so long to get, you know, uh, traffic lights or curb improvements or like you were, you know, talking about? I mean, it's just, that is an area that we need to figure out how to improve upon. Um, it took seven years um, to advocate to get a traffic light, um, crosswalks, uh, for 300 kids and a community of color. And um, it is considered kind of, a, um, you know, cars are going anywhere from 50 to 60 miles an hour. And it's, you know, it's, it, it really is overwhelming. And like you were saying, Don, you know, parents aren't connected to the idea that they actually can play a role in making a difference and making their community safer. You know, they, they think we should, you know, let's just run across the, the street when no cars are coming. And so there's so much education that has to be done. Uh, Tiffany, and I see you shaking your head. I mean, you know, especially in our communities of color that are also considered high injury network areas. Yeah, I'm shaking my head because you and I worked uh, on the same route to schools. So I know exactly yeah. what, you're, what you're referring to. Mm -hmm. Safe Routes to School is a great program for those that that don't know. It's uh, I guess it's a government grant, right? Is it a mm -hmm. government grant? Yeah. And it's to build safe crosswalks, pedestrian infrastructure around schools so the kids can once again walk to school. It's like this American problem where everybody <laughs> drives their kids to school. Exactly. And it's a, it's it's oh, a it's a it's, yeah. It's not just American. Uh, I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. It's, okay. Yeah. It's symptomatic of everywhere where the vehicle has been made king. Uh, so in New Zealand, uh, you guys are. Do you? I mean, is it kind of a break? No, breakdown? not New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand. Yes. I'm sorry to bust your New Zealand no. bubble. <laughs> no, no. New Zealand's supposed to be like utopia. What happened? <laughs> It might be, but um, people, you know, we do have safe routes to school programs, um, but people are still driving their kids to school. And it's, it's a little bit different than it, this, the, the safety aspect is a little different than it is in uh, the States, but the fact still remains that people drive their kids to school more often than they need to. Um, they they have safe, you guys have safer streets there. I, I would generally agree with that statement, but like all places, mm -hmm. there are some neighborhoods where um, safety is an issue and walking to school is an issue because of those things. Um, sorry, again, I'm going to bust the New Zealand bubble. There are gangs. <laughs> um, so, you know, depending there, there on where you There's... live, there are gangs. Um, but it's, it's not like LA, red, blue. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. It's not crazy um, with guns, gun jet, gun, uh, not as gun. many, not as many, but there are guns in the New US. Zone. You're really breaking this whole, I mean, I know. <laughs> so sorry. 
I just want to say there is no utopia. Um, (laughs) There are problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think the the difference is that it's not outweighing. It's not to the point of no return. It's just small things that just need to be tweaked a little bit. Um, But yeah, we we are trying our best to make public transport more of an option so that people don't have to drive their kids to school um, and increasing the walking and cycling opportunities for them to do so. So again, Mm -hmm. no matter where you are, it's all about safety and comfort of the parents and infrastructure. If you don't have the infrastructure to walk, you can't really do it, right? So yeah, working on it. Well, and then I have a question of, you know, are there neighborhood councils um, and um, basically, disenfranchise communities of color, you know, is that where uh, the, the problem exists, which is that, the same everywhere? That's the same everywhere, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. We do have in, uh, in Auckland, Southern mm-hmm. Auckland, I would say, um, is probably more disenfranchised. We find that um, we've done studies where taking public transport, uh, you actually, they haven't, in terms of here, we use the hop card uh, to get on the bus. You tap it, but instead of using cash, they they actually prefer to use cash. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff behind that, but the mm-hmm. opportunity to actually get a hop card to find a place where you have a hop card mm-hmm. is very limited in certain neighborhoods. So they just continue to use cash, even though it costs more money to do that. Oh. Um, so it takes a little bit more outreach and kind of, you know, finessing uh, with the neighborhood. It takes, it's just more of an investment. You can't just say, here, go do this. Um, Here's an app, go find out how to do it. It actually takes some love and care to go into the neighborhood and say, hey, we actually want you to take the bus. You're not sure how to do it? Let's help you do it. So that's that's where it's a little bit different. And um, I think recognizing the problem and actually mm-hmm. wanting to do something about it is kind of what I love about being here. Um, instead of knowing there's a problem and just not caring. Right, right. Sorry, America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's just a key thing that is coming up in my conversation is that it's everyone here, you know, um, on Bike Talk and, and with this Black Lives Rolling, you know, we care. So we're actually, you know, that's where it actually starts, you know, is that we actually care and that we actually can have these conversations to find out how to improve upon maybe in some cases infrastructure or um, organizational operations. And then there are some that are just not doing anything and those just need to be dismantled um, and start new, you know, start over. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Mooney? Yeah. How's the public transportation in Long Beach? Well, um, it was the funny thing about it is when I visited Norway, um, you know, the public transit there wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be like everybody kind of um, always romanticizes every place else outside of the United States as if you know, they have flying cars. Um, but one thing that was very interesting was that um, um, Oslo had a fully functioning public transportation system for a city that's about 
mm, I think about 700,000, give or take around there. And Long Beach has, it, it has, also has six lines. Long Beach has one blue line at the extreme west of the city. So that just shows you the disparity of American cities. The city of Long Beach is a half a million people. Don't, people don't really realize it's a fully functioning city. If you dropped it in the middle of Iowa, it'll be a megalopolis. So um, it's just, we only have one line and then we have just bus service um, that covers everything else. That's not knocking bus service. I think bus service can be very uh, efficient. But the, the amount of investment that we give to our cities as far as public transportation is just ridiculously low. And, and that has a lot of different, you know, it connects to so many different things, race, class, and blah, blah, blah. Of course, we all know this. Um, I'm probably, you know, talking, I'm speaking to the choir here. But um, public transit, to, add, to answer your question, I guess more directly, it's actually pretty good um, if you're okay with bus travel. It's pretty good. I'm not excited about bus travel, but uh, well, that's because that's because I'm like you've been scarred. You've been scarred in San Fernando Valley. <laughs> um, scarred. Yeah. Yeah. I whoa, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, the buses in San Fernando Valley are purposely no, made for you to never, never want to take public transportation again. And that's that's our whole. That's our. Whole actually, <laughs> actually, actually, since I moved out here, the the orange line is. You know the orange line. You went to CSUN. Well, you know. The reason why I know about San Fernando Valley Transit is because I went to CSUN. And yeah. outside of those times, when the orange line is like hitting it or whatever, Metrolink you can catch, you know. Metrolink. Really there's, there's a few little secret things, but if you take the bus out here, it sucks. No, I, I didn't even understand it. I mean, they actually go around in circles. I think they just go around blocks, around and around, <laughs> just to make sure that you get off the bus and you say, I'm never going to take this again. And then that's when you get the thumbs up because they don't want you to take public transportation. It's really weird to take public transit now with, yeah. with this whole COVID thing. I just got yeah. off the bus. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it, well, the greatest thing about it, you know, there's always silver lining, is that they don't charge you. They haven't been charging anybody. So I just got on the bus mm. without paying. So Get out of here. I tapped my yeah. card. What the heck? No, I don't do that no more. Just get on the bus. They won't say anything. There's a big old chain that's that's separating you from the from the driver. How are you gonna get right, up to, right. the, to the uh, fare box? So just get on, have a seat, and ride. How it should be. Stop, subway too, or what? Can I go free on the subway too? Well, I, I don't want to go on the subway. I don't, don't want to be. Oh, I'm like Herman Cain just died. Like I don't want to go on. It's crazy. Dude. People are dying. People are dying. It's it's like, but, um, <laughs> like famous people are dying. Like well, actually, one of one of the problems um, that I have here in our community of, of West Adams, and I'm sure it's the case for many of our um, communities of color, low income communities, are are the bus shelters um, and the sidewalks are are, are appalling. They're just absolutely filthy. Um, there's there's trash everywhere, and yet you know, um, there's all this conversation about our city. Um, and, you know, I mean, you don't know who to listen to, who to trust and who not to trust when it comes to we care. Our city officials are saying we care about um, our essential workers. Our essential workers have to catch buses. They have to walk on yeah. sidewalks, but they're filthy. So I've, I've, I've created a 24-page document that I've shared 
um, with my uh, neighborhood council colleagues, and that has made its way to the mayor's office. Um, and it's this kind of out of the box advocating that has to happen from every corner of our city, every corner of our neighborhoods to, to, um, to bring and shed light and to make change. I would not want to catch a bus. You know, I mean, I would love to catch a free bus, you know, and, and no fare and to use public transit. But I'm walking and I'm observing my community and there's a lot of work to be done to even take care of the neighbors and our community and COVID-19. And so I have a rage that's in me that basically I ask daily that it be guided to be uh, useful, you know, and meaningful rage, a rage that, that, that plays a role in trying to help keep our community members safe um, and COVID-19, as well as um, that our young black and brown kids are not racially profiled and killed, um, that we can one day get out and bike ride without looking over our shoulders and wondering if something's gonna happen to us or if something's gonna happen to my son or my daughter. So um, I have a sense of urgency that as you guys are talking about how things take so long, you know, I'm sorry, <laughs> it, it can't anymore. When, and if it, if it means that we have to create new ways of, of supporting our city and that, and I think that's what we're talking about with you know, a lot of the defunding there were defund the police, care, not cops. Um, you know, these are things where we are talking about how to make our communities more greener, safer, fix the curbs, clean our belt, bike shelters, clean the sidewalk, make a sidewalk walk walkable. And th those are the things that I see daily um, and in and, and West Adams. And I know that we have many communities like that and that we can balance this out um, to help humanity in all the different areas that we're talking about. Sorry, I just had to throw that in. No, there. <laughs> I, I think I think that makes yeah. a great that that makes a great place for us to to uh, bring the show to a close. And yes. with that thought, for I guess it's going to be it's not next week, but the week after when we get you yes. back on. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. Yeah. So I want to thank all our guests. Um, Mooney, Tiffany, Yolanda, who else do we have Thank left you, here? Tiffany, Mooney. Lula, yeah. All you, all you guys for coming on. And, Thank you. uh, yeah. And we have somebody from New Zealand. We're like, we've gone international. Yes. Long, we went to Long <laughs> right. Beach. Now we got yes. New Zealand. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And we found out that New Zealand is not utopia. Yeah. Kind of got the bubble bursted a little. <laughs> or is this just a secret right. mission? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's to throw you off. So we don't move there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But it's still good. It's all, it's all, as my son says, all is well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All okay. is well. If, yeah. if just to clean it up, literally, like just what you were talking about, we, we did fog down our buses um, and the fog keeps it uh, germs off for two weeks. Oh, and wow. okay. every like multiple times an hour, we were having people actually clean the buses. Um, so yeah, it's not utopia, but it sure is close. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I see right. your posted pictures, so I know it's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, let's get yeah, let's yeah. get the social media out. So, where do we follow everybody? Tiffany, where do we follow New Zealand? 
and see the um, real New Zealand. You can you can follow me on Twitter, um, Bell Planner on Twitter, um, okay. and yeah, that's probably the best place. Bell Planner. Working on it. Yes. yes. B e l l e Planner. Okay. Bell. Okay. And okay. I'm on Ride and Living Color uh, for now, and okay. um, everything's connected to that. Mm -hmm. And. and Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. I was oh, just going to say. Oh, okay. and, and you can follow my, you know, my urban planning band. No, it's not urban planning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the name What's the band, name of the band? The band is Warm Leather Rat. Everybody knows a Grace Jones song. So, so the name of the band is Warm Leather Rat. Um, and you can check us oh, out. Oh, yeah, like the Grace Jones song. That's really cool. She wasn't the original, though. People think she's original. She wasn't the original. That was the normals. But, uh, but warm leather rat. You can find us on Spotify and in any platform that you that you do. Okay, urban Definitely. planning music. All right, and you can also see Mooney on my Facebook feed. And um, <laughs> do I don't, share with Yolanda? Yeah, share it. Yeah. Yolanda has probably unfollowed my Facebook feed because of the arguments that me and Mooney had. Oh yeah. Uh, no. Okay, that was uh, bike talk on KPFK live stream, now on Zoom. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys uh, next Thanks. Friday. Thanks. See everybody next time. Okay. Bye, we'll guys. be talking, Thank Tiffany. You. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Happy day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you too. Oh, we got the theme. Out the bike and I'm on my way And transportation shows I care Every turn of the pedal cleans the air Clean in the green, I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.